0: Good morning, my friends. I'm Pastor Stephen Brooks and welcome today to our midweek Bible study called Morning Glory. I'm so happy that you have joined me today and I want to invite you to grab your Bibles and meet me in the small little book or we should say technically correct a or, or an epistle. Yes, now we're using good theological terms. Let's go to the epistle of Titus. In other words, this is a letter that Paul wrote to Titus. Titus lived in Crete and pastored several churches there, and he was receiving good instructions how to shepherd and take care of the flocks that he was overseeing. And Paul jumps into a different subject here in chapter 2, verse 11, that we are going to move in here in just a moment let's open up in prayer. Heavenly Father, we ask that as we begin to study today's scriptures, we ask that your Holy Spirit would illuminate the eyes of our understanding. So this is not just ink on paper. This is not intellectual illumination. Let this be spiritual illumination. Father, as we say, let the light go on on the inside. Give us understanding to go to the top of Mount Zion. Hallelujah. And to be developed into the image and nature of Christ, the mature Christ. Thank you, Father. Not Christ when he was a little child, maybe 10 or 12 years old, but Father, take us into the mature image of your Son. Let it be reflected in us through this teaching and understanding of grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hallelujah, and I believe God's going to do it. Now, verse 11, I usually read from the New King James Version. Uh, There are some things about the New King James Version I love. It's my main teaching text. It's the main Bible that I use. Um, There are some other things that I don't like. I don't like how the King James translators, uh, particularly like in the Old Testament, highlight it or not highlighted. Uh, That's not the correct word. Capitalize. That's the right word. They capitalize certain things they should not have capitalized, such as the angel of the Lord. And they thought, well, that's a theophany of Jesus back in the old covenant. So we have to capitalize that to let everybody know that's a theophany. No, it wasn't. It was an angel. And uh, I don't like how they did that because in the Hebrew and in the Greek, these these names are not capitalized. And so when you start capitalizing, even things like he and him and all of this, it can get very confusing. And that's what you run into with the new King James. So there's not a perfect translation. So until we get to heaven, uh, we have to work with uh, limitations of earthly tongues, but it is a great, um, version that I teach, uh, 100% 100% of the time from. Now, at other times, I'll bring in other, uh, other versions. I actually want to read, read the NIV. Uh, the NIV is not as literal as the New King James or the ESV, but it is still a very smooth and easy to understand English version. Now, Titus chapter 2, verse 11, and I want to read it from the NIV because it gives actually a better translation. It says, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It offers salvation to all people. Now, I want you to understand that the grace of God through the gospel message and the lifting up of Christ Jesus as the Messiah and Savior of the world, okay, that grace, the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Now let's move into verse 12. It says, teaching us. Okay. This is fascinating. This is what I was never taught growing up. I'm going to share some things with you that although I was raised in church from a baby, uh, my parents have always loved the Lord. My dad's in heaven now. My mom's still alive, but I was in church three times a week whether I wanted to or not. We were there. We were faithful church attendees, but I, uh, you know, you you don't learn everything sometimes that you need to learn in certain settings or environments. I actually had a vision one time, uh, and Jesus appeared to me face to face in a vision, and he told me that one of the reasons I struggled in certain areas of my Christian walk was because of certain things that I was never taught. Now, let that sink in for a moment. Uh, Don't let it mystify you because you could go to a school system and you could graduate that school system and still never learn how to budget a checkbook, right? You can go through the American school system from elementary, junior high, and high school And get out, and not even know how to trade a stock, not even know how to open a stock account. You you, could—it's just amazing sometimes what you're not taught. That you can be taught all kinds of other, uh, other things that you're never going to use in your entire life, but you're required to learn it. (laughs) Maybe some of it was good. Some of it, I'm sure, uh, was a waste of time reading certain books that were just, you know. just a bunch of baloney, really, but at least I'm sure it helped us to develop our reading skills, whatever, but uh, many of the things that that could have really helped us in life, such as how to open a bank account, how to budget your money, things like that, you know, we were never taught, uh, so we had to learn that later, and sometimes we had, uh, we had to learn it real quick, or learn it after there was a mess. Well, It can be like that in your walk with the Lord, and you might be surprised at some of the things that can slip by you. There has been, in some ways, a deterioration of what we would call the apostolic faith. Let me give you an example of what I mean by that. Kenneth Hagin, he passed away in the year 2003, was a great prophet of the Lord, he had a visitation from Jesus, and the Lord told him one time that if he did not teach the type of messages that he was teaching, then uh, there, were, there would be certain truths that what we would call the old Pentecostals, okay, from the 1800s and early 1900s, those truths would be lost completely to the incoming generations, because they had redug some wells, the Pentecostals from the 1800s, early 1900s. they had redug certain wells about prayer and intercession, and the deeper walk with God, principles of holiness and principles of self-control that former generations, a lot of a lot of them, uh, some of the, the people that are alive today don't even know anything about stuff like that. So it, let's just say that, you were a young person today, and you got saved, and you start to learn certain things, where you're going going to learn from the teachers that are presenting certain truths today. And there can be, you know, depending on the culture, depending on the nation that you live in, there can be an erosion of of those truths. There can be political pressure that would endeavor to back a preacher down from saying certain things. When's the last time that you heard a well-known preacher on television, on, on Christian television, say that homosexuality is a sin. When's the last time you heard one of those real popular preachers say it? They'll, they'll never say it. They'll never say it. Is 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 it a sin? Yes, the Bible clearly defines the various forms of sexual immorality, but yet there are certain things, oh, don't talk about that. We'll lose half the members. Well, half the members, they may be there, but <laughs> that doesn't mean they're in... God's sheepfold. I'm not saying they're not saved, but I am saying you can sit there and not know major, major things. And if you don't know it, you're not going to get to the top. So the truth of God's word is out there. It's first of all, it's in the word, but you know, there's a lot of things in the word that it comes through an unveiling. That's what the word revelation means. The last book in the Bible written by John, the beloved apostle is called the revelation of Jesus Christ. the word revelation basically means an unveiling. And it's like pulling a curtain back and you see something for the first time. Here's, here's the, the crazy thing about it. You may see it for the first time, but it's been there right in front of you the whole time. For whatever reason, you just did not have the spiritual perception or spiritual vision to hear it, see it, or perceive it, and it it escaped you. Even if there was somebody teaching it, for whatever reason, you had blinders on. Uh, I've had things like that happen, and I remember certain points in my life and my journey with the Lord where certain blinders came off, and I said, my Lord, that's the truth and it, it was so close, it, it could have reached out and grabbed me almost, but it took the Holy Spirit to cause the unveiling to take place. Uh, it says here in verse 12 that grace teaches. This grace of God, it teaches. Now, that word teach is a little bit light in the, in the, the regard that it means, it means something broader than that. When it says teach, it means to instruct, it means schooling, it also heavily denotes training and disciplining. Wow, that's fascinating. Glory to God. So I was raised in church all of my life. Uh, I got water baptized when I was, uh, I can't remember, somewhere like around junior high, but I didn't know really what I was doing. I just got wet. (laughs) But, But later in high school, I got saved. I knew. I knew when my heart got right with God. It literally felt like two thousand pounds came off my shoulders. I knew I'd been born again. And then I got baptized after that, and uh, it meant something to me. Praise the Lord. But my friends, that is just the beginning. Salvation is the beginning. Uh, It's the new birth experience. And if that's all you ever had as a believer, and you're born again, and Christ is in your heart. Well, it certainly beats going to hell, doesn't it? (laughs) Hallelujah. Raise your hands and say praise God. But the Lord has more. He's got a whole lot more for you. And even in the book of Hebrews, the Apostle Paul talked about various elementary truths, and it really would be unfortunate, and if we would be honest, extremely boring, stay in elementary school all of your life. I I mean, I remember, I don't remember much about first grade. I remember a little bit. For some reason, I remember a lot about third grade, and then uh, fourth grade was a blur, fifth grade was a blur, and then, you know, you know how it is. But nevertheless, I wouldn't want to repeat those years over and over and over again. In other words, elementary truths, learn them, get established in them, and then just keep on moving. All right, let's go further. I believe that the baptism in the Holy Spirit also is an elementary teaching. After all, when Paul was talking about elementary truths, he talked about the various forms of baptism. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit also referred to in scripture as the infilling of the Spirit. So I have have water in my cup it's filled up to about here. Uh, if it gets overflowing, then it starts going over the top. The infilling of the Holy Spirit is when you get filled to the top and there's an overflow. And when there's an overflow, uh, the speaking in tongues comes out. Praise the Lord. Oh, Pastor Stephen, I've got I've got the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I speak in tongues. I'm sitting on the top of the mountain on my lawn chair enjoying the view. Uh, no. You're just on a plateau. It's not the top. You look up and you can see the mountain still going higher. How many of you have ever climbed various mountains, and you just you keep going up and you start getting you know you're up there, but you just think when's this going to end? And you keep going and going and uh, you think you get to the top and then clear ridge or something, and and then it just keeps on going. And sometimes you could think this has got to be it, and then you look, uh, you get a different perspective, and you're like, nope. This is not over with yet. So you keep on going and eventually you do reach the summit and grace will take you all the way to the top. God wants us to go up to Mount Zion. A lot of Christians camp where their church camps at. And your church, your denomination, maybe was involved in a move of God. That's probably how your denomination, if you belong to a denomination, if you're in a various stream of the Christian faith, uh, if you're in a denominational type setting, it's because there was a move of the Spirit and there was a birthing of that revelation of that truth, and believers joined to that work of God. Uh, you know, and so you had the Methodist. Who they had a method through John Wesley of evangelism, and uh, and then also uh, Wesley's ministry went a lot further than the evangelist Whitfield, because uh, Whitfield uh, he could really get the masses saved. Wesley could get them saved too, but then Wesley would immediately begin to disciple them, and so he he had a more complete structure in his ministry. Both great men of God, though. But my friends, uh, so many of the denominations, all, it all happened because there was an emphasis of the Spirit during that time. They caught that revelation, and they hung on to it, and they camped there. And they said, we love this truth so much, we're never going to move from this position. Well, you're supposed to not camp there. You're supposed to celebrate that truth, but you need to keep on moving because it's like out in the wilderness with Israel. You have to follow the cloud by day and the fire by night. Uh, if you don't follow the cloud by day, you will have the difficulties of enduring with the blistering sun, because the cloud provided shade and a form of air conditioning that protected them. And so you follow that cloud, it block out the sun and you could have some relief, and it really helped you to go in the right direction. So you need to keep moving. You need to keep moving. You need, the Holy Spirit is continuing to release revelation and truth that we need in order to be conformed fully into the image of God's dear son. So there is a lot of teaching that must take place. In other words, this teaching, schooling, training, disciplining, praise the Lord. These are things that the Holy Spirit is constantly working with us to develop us and to get us to know what it is that he wants us to know so that we can keep going up the mountain and not camp. Woo! Praise the Lord. Mm. There was a place, it was probably about, oh, maybe 26 or 27 years ago, when I looked at a certain ministry and I thought, Lord, if I could join that ministry, be involved in that in the work that that ministry is doing, I would be the happiest person on the planet, and surely there would be nothing greater or uh, more fulfilling than than being involved in that work. But you know what? God had a totally different plan for me, and now where I'm at now with the things that I know now that I would call the full gospel. Sometimes we call it a Pentecostal type message, which believe, you know, in other words, we believe in modern day miracles and signs and wonders and things like that. Well, if I had gone the route that I had wanted to get connected with a certain ministry, well, I found out later they didn't even believe in miracles, modern day miracles. They didn't believe in tongues or anything like that. Uh, Great people, happy people. They loved the Lord, but they had decided to camp uh at an altitude that they were all comfortable with and God was blessing them there no question about it but the lord says hey if you want to go higher you can't camp you got to you got to keep climbing so that's what I've decided to do by god's grace I've kept on going and I pray and trust that you will as well now it may sound a little shocking to some of you to think that the baptism in the holy spirit is not the ultimate apex experience Again, it is an elementary experience where you are in filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and you keep on walking, but there's more. There's more. Praise God. We must talk about this. I think we need to talk about it because let me give you an example before I share some natural examples. I'll give you a natural example from the Bible. We know that Paul, when he wrote the letters to the church in Corinth that, that we know as First and Second Corinthians, he really had to address issues of uh, I would almost call it bizarre carnality. Now remember, they are saved, and they all speak in tongues. Watch this: operate in words of knowledge and, and prophecy and the gifts of the Spirit, and they, despite being saved, okay, born again and also being filled with the Spirit, having the charisma, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, they were still carnal. Well, Pastor Stephen, they had it all. They were saved, they were filled with the Spirit, they had it all. No, that's that's still, that. those are elementary principles. And I have, uh, over the decades, have just come across within Pentecostal churches, charismatic type churches, Christians that love the Lord, speak in tongues, Love miracles and signs and wonders can prophesy. But yet at the same time, if you did business with some of these people, they would uh whoo uh wow, you you'd lose your shirt. And you know what? They wouldn't be troubled about it one bit. They wouldn't say, Well, I'm sorry, you know, that was wrong, I was dishonest, I cheated from you, I lied to you, I you know, stole your money or whatever. They wouldn't do anything. They'd just keep on going, uh, you know, keep on and also keep on going to church. And the Lord, he wants us to be developed. He wants you to understand that you're not supposed to live in a place where sin just keeps triumphing over you. Now, we know here that grace teaches, grace instructs. So for the last 10 years, the church has had a good dose. I'd call it a mega dose of grace teaching. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And there are some excellent grace teachers out there. You have uh, Andrew Womack, who's probably one of the best, and he's an excellent teacher, great man of God. You have Joseph Prince over in Singapore, preaching grace, does a great job. And uh, the message of grace through many other ministers and who knows how many books that were written on the subject of grace. Those of you that have been in the body of Christ for a while, you know what I'm talking about. The subject of grace went bananas. I mean, it seemed like every preacher, every pastor was talking about the subject of grace for about a span of 10 years. Here was the emphasis that was being taught. The emphasis that was being taught, remember, there's two sides to every coin. Here's what was being taught is that if you have sinned, God's grace is there upon your repentance to cleanse you, to forgive you, and to reestablish you. Oh, and it was a wonderful message. And the message was anointed by the Lord. And trust me, having come out of a denomination that I grew up in that was ultra legalistic, And of course, anytime you have legalism, you're going to have condemnation like like crazy. And uh, we had a lot of condemnation. I mean, not one man could ever pray in our church without closing the prayer, God, please forgive us of our sins. We, we could literally pray five minutes later and the prayer would close. God, forgive us of our sins. And it, every prayer we had, was all, it was all sin conscious. We all felt so unworthy. We all felt so condemned. <laughs> we loved the Lord, <laughs> but we had no concept of grace. So that message of grace really shot through the body of Christ globally and percolated down to the many different denominations and uh, even, even small churches all over America that really needed to hear that. And many people begin to realize God does love us. God's not mad at us. God wants us blessed and healthy and healed up and uh, not all condemned and feeling miserable. And so people began to realize that God would forgive them of their sins. And so it was a beautiful message, but it was incomplete. And here's why. Because of what Paul is going to go into right now. Now, the message of grace that was taught was necessary to get the condemnation off of the people of the Lord. But grace not only has the power and the ability to bring forgiveness and to lift your face back up, to look at the Lord eye to eye and not feel all unworthy and dirty and condemned, but grace has the ability to empower you not to sin in the first place. And that that was not really the emphasis of the grace message throughout the previous decade. And that's, that's okay. That, that's okay. I'm just here to say that if you want to get to the top of the mountain, this is a message. This is, this is a word or verses from God that are essential. And you can't climb to the top without working on the other side of the coin. Let's talk about these things now. For the grace of God, that brings salvation has appeared to all men teaching or instructing us. Number one, denying ungodliness, denying it. Well, Pastor Stephen, God knows if I yield and give into it, God knows if I tell him I'm sorry, uh, you know, do my best, you know, to, you know, try to do better, uh, he'll forgive me. Yes, you know, when you're sincere and you, you know, you tell the Lord, Lord, I've helped me, Lord, I've, you know, he'll, he'll forgive you. Absolutely. You repent the moment you do it. He takes it. It's, it's washed away. No problem. No problem. But how about denying it next time it comes up so that you don't stumble and that you don't yield or give into it? How about that? Because that the grace of God will teach you to do that. Now, these were things I was never taught. Uh, you know, we're We'd have youth group at church when I was a teenager and, you know, it kind of revolved around just, you know, pizza and half-baked messages that, you know, a youth pastor taught that I couldn't even half-time understand what he was talking about. And, uh, you know, he didn't study or anything like that, so he didn't really know anything. So we're just kind of going through the church system, but we're not learning anything. And we all love the Lord, but individual in our individual lives, uh, we're just not walking in victory and it's because we were never taught uh, the principles of grace, that grace will teach you, it will instruct you to deny ungodliness. Now, I like, again, the NIV on this. It says saying no, no to ungodliness. Oh, but Pastor Stephen, everybody else is doing it. Well, maybe everybody else is going to hell, not me. (laughs) By the way, not everybody else is doing it. There's a lot that aren't. And, uh, you know, it's usually the minority, the small, small percentage, that's over into these areas of perversion and gross sin. Yet they want to amplify it, and act like everybody's doing it. No, not everybody's doing it. Absolutely not. But they want everybody to agree with it. Well, I'm not going to agree with it. I'm going to agree with God's word, and I'm also not going to be doing things like that. See, denying ungodliness. So you just, when you have these opportunities to participate in ungodliness, you just deny it. You just say, no, no. Oh, Pastor Stephen, God understands though that we're weak. God understands that we're human. Well, God understands that he expects you to say, no, (laughs) you know, how about, how about that side of the coin? See, I'm just trying to say there's a lot of Christians. They've never, ever been taught this side of grace. Now, Let me jump back to good old John Wesley just for a moment. He began to understand this side of grace. Oh, he'd been in the church for quite some time and uh, loved God and had a good ministry. But when he began to understand more of this, he found it so revealing and life altering in his Christian journey that he actually coined or termed a phrase that those of you that study theology would know this. It's called the second work of grace. In other words, the first work of grace would be salvation. You're born again, you're saved. Oh, well, Pastor Stephen, the second work of grace is the baptism in the Holy Spirit. No, no, the baptism in the Holy Spirit is just that. That's the baptism or the infilling of the Holy Spirit. But this is something different. This is that grace working in you, in the saved, Spirit-filled believer. By the way, uh, let's just be honest with John Wesley and the Methodist Church. When that was rolling, and John Wesley in the power days of his ministry, all of the gifts of the Spirit were were in manifestation in his ministry. And if you're a Methodist and you're watching me, don't read the current history books on Methodist history go back and get the old history books of the way it really was and you'll find that miracles and signs and wonders were taking place in almost every single meeting where Wesley preached to the degree even when he would have the massive outdoor meetings and the crowds were huge and sometimes people would want to see because the size of the of the crowd some people would climb up in the trees Before he would start speaking and getting into the message, he would tell people, come down from the trees because the Holy Spirit is going to move. And when he begins to move, if you don't climb out of the tree now, he said, you're going to fall out of the trees later when the Holy Spirit begins moving. Well, of course, many would climb down out of the tree out of reverence and respect for what he said. You always have a few knuckleheads that are sit up there in the tree anyhow and think nothing's going to happen to them. But they all fell out of the trees when the anointing came and the Spirit of God would begin to move and the the symbol of the Methodist church today is the flame, uh, but you have to understand that flame is rooted in the power of the Spirit. The flame representing the Holy Spirit was rooted in the power of the Spirit that was there in the early days of that ministry. By the way, I'm teaching to you from an old Methodist church building here in Moravian Falls. This building, this actually uh, the room I'm sitting in was built in 1910. This is the updated edition. This is the 1910 version. And right behind me is the larger sanctuary where I stream at on Sunday mornings. That was built in 1877. Uh, This is a church that came together from two churches that were both born or formed in the 1830s, actually in 1830 itself and they functioned. They were healthy and strong, but then they merged together. In uh, 1877, the church was called Beulah, Beulah being a Hebrew word that means married to the land, and the church thrived and prospered for many years, and we are now privileged to own uh, this historic and beautiful facility. So, I've always loved John Wesley, uh, never knew that I would end up owning a Methodist church building, but we're happy to keep whatever part of that legacy alive. Praise God. I, I liked Wesley because he said, he said, the world is my pulpit. And I take that same biblical approach. And who knew that we would have internet and satellite television, and things like that, and thus the Word has become a true fulfillment. Praise God. But John Wesley called it a second work of grace after having known the initial salvation experience, after having known the power of the Holy Spirit and miracles happening in the meetings, and he was a person that was like, look, we're going to let the miracles happen, but we will not sensationalize this. Not one bit. We're not, we're not going to get into fanaticism. We've got enough criticism already because anytime God's moving, the enemy's going to try to, you know, find areas to critique and, and, you know, cause trouble. So he said, we will not get into fanaticism. Uh, and when the supernatural does happen, we're not going to sensationalize it, but trust me, it was, it was happening. Uh, so they were very, very even keeled. And I like that. Praise God. So he understood that this grace message can really help you get to the top when you understand it from the aspect that it will teach you, instruct you to walk in the power that God has given to you as a believer. It will instruct you to deny ungodliness. Well, I'm just used to giving in, Pastor Stephen. Well, you need to start getting used now to denying it. If anything has conquered you before, any habit, maybe there's a current habit that just Uh, really, uh, you know, gives you a hard time. It's time to understand that God's grace teaches you not to put up with it or endure it, but to deny it and say no to it with great authority, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust. So we we need to, number one, deny ungodliness. Number two, grace is teaching us to deny worldly lust. Well, Pastor Stephen, you understand that when we go to the beach, uh, Pastor Stephen, everybody takes their clothes off and, and runs around naked at the beach. Oh, so you just do what the world does, huh? Isn't that amazing that you would never go to a church service, a public gathering, say like on a Sunday morning, have maybe a couple thousand people in the service, you would never show up, ladies, let me, spell, you know, as an individual, you would never show up with just your bra and your panties on. Walk into a church like that, people would fall out thinking, Lord, have mercy, what are you doing? What if the pastor came out in, a, in like a little, um, what's that called, a speedo bikini? No, no, not a bikini, just a speedo. What if the pastor came out in a speedo People would say, My Lord, he's lost his mind. But yet, you'll have other Christians, they'll go straight to the beach. The moment they get to the beach, all the clothes come off. Everything comes off. Everything comes off except a little string somewhere. <laughs> well, Pastor Stephen, what am I supposed to do? That's just what we do, that's what the world does. Mm-hmm. Oh, Pastor Stephen, it's too hot. It's too hot. Grace, grace will. See, grace instruction has elements of discipline to it. And also it's implied correction, mm, 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 mm. denying worldly lust. Well, Pastor Stephen, there's certain shows I like to watch. Oh, okay. Well, you know, some of these shows can be real sensual in nature. Uh, be careful. Just be careful with all of that stuff. You know, I have a pastor one time, he really loved James Bond, and, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to play Holy Spirit, I'm not, I'm not going to, like, try to say this is right, this is wrong, I'm just saying be careful with things, you know, as this one pastor, he really, he wanted to be suave, not, I don't know, I guess he forgot he was married and had children, but he, he still wanted to be Mr. James Bond, suave, cool, I mean, well, well, all the Bond movies are about bond, getting the women. I mean, you know, trying to look cool and stuff like that. That's all it's about. It's, it's sensuality and, and sexual overtones and sexual comments, and it's all geared towards th- this type of worldly lust. And if you entertain that, you're going to start acting like that. You're going to start, you know, <laughs> looking and talking and behaving and on and on it goes, on and on it goes. Praise the Lord. Well, Pastor Stephen, well, I mean, do you expect me to walk around looking like a nun or, or a monk? <laughs> well, not really, you know. Um, but, but I'm just saying that balance, the Holy Spirit will teach you all of that. There's there's grace. You know, ladies, you know when you're doing things that you know what you're doing to try to, you know, stir something up. You, you know what you're doing. And uh, grace Grace just puts the stop sign on that. Praise the Lord. If you want to get to the top of the mountain. Hallelujah. Mm -mm. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. We're having fun today. These are things that old time Pentecostals got it down. Pastor Stephen, they were stiff and religious. They sure were holy, though. They sure saw a lot of miracles in their meetings, didn't they? The early Pentecostals saw a lot of miracles in their meetings. Uh, and some of those things we we rarely see. We rarely see. Actually, one of the comments I get when I minister, when I go out and minister and start praying and asking God to heal people, and I start ministering to people, is one of the comments I get is that, uh, whew, Pastor Stephen, you remind me of some kind of like old-timey, Pentecostal preacher from another generation, from like another era. Why, why, why did they say that? Because they haven't. They don't. They don't see this type of manifestations that are taking place. They don't see that today. They they just don't see it. So I believe that if you want to go to the top, you're going to need the grace of God. Yes, to cover, forgive, wash away sin, but also, and I would say even more importantly, to Stay strong in the first place, and to keep on going, denying, denying, denying. No, no, no. And I know what it's like. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't born behind a pulpit. You know, I I wasn't born here preaching with the Bible. You know, on the internet. I I grew up and you know learned a career and uh, learned a a trade skill, which was plumbing. Worked out on the plumbing field, and then you know went into. uh, you know, plumbing sales and things like that. And I'd had have guys, you know, say, hey, let's go out and let's go out and, you know, eat together or, you know, let's go drink together. And, and all, all it would ever be is just crude conversation that, you know, was all crude jesting, loaded with profanity and alcohol. And I just, I, I would never go. I would never go. And they, they knew that was all it was. And so, um, but I had all, I, I everybody, at any job I ever worked at, they all really loved me. They all respected me because I was never like, um, you know, holier than thou. You can't, you can't do that. They're sinners. They, they, they do what they're supposed to do. They sin. (laughs) It's not shocking or surprising at all. So we have to, we have to do our part and love people. And, you know, even Daniel, he was in the court there at Babylon working under the king of Nebuchadnezzar. And so, you know, you just have to find that balance. You could be in the most uh, ungodly place, and there's times when you don't have to go do certain things. And you, you know, you know, I don't need to be doing that anyhow. I don't need to go to that. I know what's going on back there. You know, whether they're you know doing cocaine or whatever it is, and a lot of these CEO offices and stuff like that. You don't need to be messing with stuff like that. You need to you need to stay pure, stay clean. Even Obadiah, when he was standing and serving next to Ahab, one of the most wicked rulers that Israel ever had, the King Ahab. And yet here is a man who is the right hand servant of the king, hiding all of these prophets in a cave and feeding them multiple times a day, over a hundred prophets. And uh, he somehow has to have that balance of living a holy life and still called to serve Ahab at the same time. So these are things that you just work out by the Holy Spirit and you endeavor to live the life that God wants you to. But let me tell you just right now, there, there's a lot of denying with grace. Grace will teach you to deny, 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 no, no, no. And the world will say, well, come on, you know, no, no, no. Mm-mm. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Denying ungodliness, denying worldly lust. Some of you men go to certain sporting events that are very crude and disgusting, where men pulverize and beat each other, and um, there's a lot of that stuff goes on, not just on TV, but also gray market, black market, where it's, um, it's, it's awful, and you know what, this is gladiator lust, this is, this is literally a lust for blood, where it becomes a sport. So you have to really ask yourself, why am I sitting in the midst of such filth as this, of men that want to see, and you know, a lot of ladies go to it now, and even the, the ladies fight each other now, and fight and curse, and you know, act like the men now, and you know, there's a lot of money and all of that, but what kind of an atmosphere is that for a person who wants to walk with God? Oh, I, I, I know a lot of Christians go to that. I, I'm not saying they're not saying, you probably even have some guys in there that fight that do that stuff and yet, yet they're Christians. But if you want to go to the top and walk with the Lord in the holy places with God and look, you, you're going to have to make some decisions about these things of ungodliness and worldly lust. Now, it doesn't stop. It continues to teach us that we should live soberly while grace is doing all of this, okay? Uh, this is the side so often that was not taught over the past last decade, but we're going to talk a little bit about it today, a little bit more. Number one, this grace will instruct you to deny ungodliness. Number two, this grace will, will instruct you to deny and say no to worldly lust. Number three, this grace will instruct you that you should live soberly, soberly not sour. You know, that it doesn't say that it doesn't mean you're supposed to be a prune, you know, walk around, you know, you know, you know, just kind of like try to act like you're ultra religious or something like that. No, that's not what it, it just means to be sober. And this is not what we would call an individual type virtue. Well, I'm sober. Well, that, that's not like an individual thing. Really in the Greek, this means that your whole nature as an, as a person, is that of being sober. So it's just something that's part of your character. It's, it's a part of who you are. You're sober. And be careful after great victories. Please hear what I'm saying. When something goes really well for you, yes, praise God, rejoice, but stay grounded, stay sober, stay sensitive. Sometimes, if there's a victory, maybe it's because there was competition. If there's competition, your victory meant someone else lost. Don't gloat over them. Don't run around with your medal saying, I won, I won. And and they're over there totally destroyed, wiped out. And you know, "I, I won. And you, well, you did, but there's something of much more value than a medal or back in their days, an olive wreath put on your head. It's loving other people. It's reaching out to other people. It's knowing that they have a heart too. They're human too. And you just, you just want to walk in this soberness that we really are ambassadors for the Lord. And don't get all giddy and goofy when stuff goes good. Act mature, act like you belong there. And just because it's a moment of perhaps elevation or a moment of lifting up, don't let it go to your head and start acting all goofy. Stay sober. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. You'll actually enjoy it more if you, if you don't get light headed and air headed. You will enjoy it more if you stay sober and you just realize this is a blessing of the Lord. I thank God for God's help and others who, who supported me and helped me to get here. And I'm glad we won, or I'm glad we got the contract, or I'm glad we were able to you know, close this out. I'm glad that this is, is taking place. We praise God for it. And you know, just uh have that have that soberness and never belittle people. Never never um never take your strengths and use them to intimidate or push others down. Always love others. Praise God, because you remember what it was like uh, in previous times of your life when you were down low, and you remember what it was like when others would try to use their leverage to, you know, rule over you. And the Lord said, we're not to be like that. So be sober. Be sober. Now, the word sober denotes primarily a self-control it is a it's a self-control where you can be joyful you can be happy but remember don't go cuckoo hallelujah that's why I liked and I still like a lot of these early ministers from the 1700s and 1800s who saw great miracles but said we're not going to we're not going to sensationalize this Look, I don't go walking around with the camera with me everywhere I go. Well, Pastor Stephen, if you did that, you could capture miracles. But look, I'm not holding a phone up to everybody to record everything. You, you will strip the genuineness of the experience. I mean, you're trying to pray for them. and They're looking at the, hey, are you recording this? I mean, I mean, is, is this to promote you? What, what are you doing? I'm not criticizing other ministers who do that. I take my phone with me, but I'm not not recording everything. I, I just I live I live for the moment. I don't live in my phone. I just live my life for the moment. <laughs> yeah, I enjoy my life, whether it's recorded or not. I, I, most of the time, I don't even care. Praise the Lord. now if it, if it's a meeting or something like that and something's being recorded, you know that that's different but I don't, I don't have a camera strapped to my head all the time. That's crazy. I don't want to live like that. <laughs> Praise the Lord. You can never talk to people normally if you do that. Hey, I'm, I want to talk to you. Sure. Jesus with you. Let me get it on, on video so I can show everybody how spiritual I am and how much of a soul winner I am. Uh, no, they're not going to open their hearts to you. They're just like, Hey man, I can't be real with real with you. We can't be one-on-one with each other. What kind of a weird thing is this? praise the Lord. So just be careful with that. There's a lot of hype in sensationalism. And some people, they do it to the, they do it to the T. They know, they know they're doing it. They know they're using marketing tactics and it's not gold. It's brass. It's substituting the true gold. The true gold represents deity or divinity but they can't get into the golden glory. So they're only on the brass level. So they hype it, hoping and realizing that most people can't tell the difference between brass and gold because brass can shine up really good and you shine the light on it. It does look a little bit like gold, except it's not. And its value in comparison is dramatically lower. So my friends, when the gold is here, uh, and the real thing is here, um, sure we'll have cameras. We'll we'll have meetings, and we will we will minister because it helps others to see it and builds their faith. But uh, no, you, you won't need the hype anything. You won't need the hype anything. And even if you never put it on camera, they would show up, and people would start pulling out their phones and all of their stuff so they can share it with others. Whoo, hallelujah! There there is a place for marketing, but you have to balance that and be real careful. You know, don't, don't get over in the flesh and, uh, try to substitute prayer and preparation and calling out to God, uh, for all these other things. Really, uh, while the African church has been, when I say the African church, primarily Nigeria, while they've been in revival for over 40 years, they've had their struggles. But they're doing good. They've been in revival nonstop for over 40 years now. But there was a period uh, about probably about 12, 12 to 15 years ago where they began to drift some and begin to get over into um, marketing and, you know, let's just, let's just promote the meeting through brochures, and let's promote the meeting through television, and we don't need to do all this prayer, and we don't need to do all this fasting, and, uh, you know, uh, we'll just promote the meeting, and uh, the, the, the Lord really rebuked that direction through prophets by the Holy Spirit, because what got them there, what brought the move of God, trust me, was not a brochure. Come to the meeting. Look how good the brochure is. They didn't... When it started, they didn't have all of that. So if you want to maintain it, you have to stick with what got you there. Mm-mm. And they made those adjustments, got back on track. Praise the Lord. Mm-mm. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. All right, let's continue on. So we have we have this teaching of grace that instructs us that we should live soberly. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. You can be free in the Holy Spirit. You can be loose and free. Hallelujah. But there's a sobriety in the Spirit. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And also, we are instructed, next, this would be number four, to live righteously. I like that. Righteously. It means upright. There are some things that are right, and there are some things that are wrong. And if God said, that's wrong. If God identified that as wrong, it will be eternally wrong. Well, I don't know about that, Pastor Stephen. Well, God said stealing is wrong. And because God identified it as being wrong the moment he did, it eternally became sinful. So a million years from now, uh, stealing will still be sinful. Well, I, I, I don't know about that, Pastor Stephen. Well, you know, there's, there is a way to live right, and there are things that are wrong. Now, there's a lot of things that God said they're, they're good to go. You know, uh, certain things you said, like food. That, you can eat all you want. Talking about, you know, the vegetables and the fruit and apples or oranges. Yeah, you know, eat all you want, okay? It's, it's not unlawful. You can have all you want. <laughs> but there's other things. He said this is sin sexual immorality is a sin. Well, now, Pastor Stephen, we have to adapt to, uh, you know, cultural norms. No, I'm not adapting to that. I'm sticking with God's word because grace teaches me to live righteously. There's right living. There's wrong living. Mm -mm. You know, so many of the things that the world presents as being fun, the reality of it behind the scenes, it's like, it's not fun. It's not fun at all. It's propped up as being fun, as being happy because they want to, they want it to be accepted and they want people to accept their sin. But behind the scenes, when the cameras aren't rolling, it's a big yucky mess. And it's just a bunch of, it's a bunch of pain and agony It's a bunch of sickness and disease, and it is all a result of disobeying God's word. And he said, don't do that. The people go and do it, and the next thing you know, it's, it's releasing that curse of sin into your life with awful consequences. Praise the Lord. So we are going to live soberly, righteously. Next, it instructs us that we should live godly, godly. Now, this denotes character that is consistent with the character of God. I, I was a young man one time sitting in a Bible study and I was, I was single. I wasn't married, but I really loved the Lord, and I, anytime my pastor taught, uh, whether it's Sunday morning or Sunday night or the Wednesday night Bible class, I was always there. Well, it was the Wednesday night Bible class, and it was all adults, and he was teaching real good, and everybody had their notes and their Bible, and Everybody was being real, attentive, and the pastor, he kind of got into the theological flow, and, uh, you know, he was trying to teach, you know, a little bit, a little more deeply, you know, uh, using the theologian's voice, and he kind of said, you know, in a very stoic way, and uh, what does it mean to be godly? You know, and uh, everybody, "Mm," thought like, yes, that's real deep, you know, we'll never know, it's it's too deep, and he said, hmm, what does it mean to be godly, mm. I said, it means to be like God. <laughs> oh, you know, people started laughing and stuff like that. He, and he said, oh, yeah, he stops. That, that's, that's really good, actually. He said, Stephen, that's really good. To be godly means to be like God. So we should live godly. We should have a character that is consistent with his. Praise God. hmm. Mm, <clears throat> Woo, thank you Jesus hallelujah have fun have fun be free but when you stay godly when you stay sober you won't be free and then get crude you see what I'm saying I, I know some ministers they're good good men I've seen them get crude I mean talk about things that that are just uh whoa you shouldn't be going into that and really get in the thing and then start using languages that that language that uh uh, you, you know, you can keep on preaching, but every, your whole audience, your their mind is still back on the statements you just said a few minutes ago. You're never going to be able to get them off that. And they go in the, they go in the areas and say things that are very crude. And uh, I wouldn't say dirty, but I am saying you shouldn't, you shouldn't, uh, go into that. You'll never see that in the Bible. You'll never see any minister of God's word taught like that. So have fun, be joyful, but always keep that soberness there and always keep righteousness there. And also that godliness have that character there so that you don't suddenly slip over the edge. And now you've done something out of character, out of the character of God. So hold all of that together. Now grace is not done instructing the grace of God continues to instruct us to do what? Look for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, the Anointed One. Now, the blessed hope and glorious appearing being, of course, one and the same is the return of the Lord to take the church his people, home with him. The the second coming of Jesus will not be a coming where he comes back physically to the earth, to Jerusalem. The second coming of Jesus, which is his next coming, is Jesus coming to take his church, his bride, out of the earth and taking his people to heaven so that the wrath Will be poured upon all the wicked sinners who rejected Christ, and the tribulation will take place, and we will be exempted and kept from that. We will be taken out. Praise God. That's what this is talking about. Grace will instruct you to be desiring that in your heart. Praise the Lord. Of course, many generations have come and gone, since Paul wrote these inspired words by the Holy Spirit. But grace today will still instruct you to be preparing your heart for that. Glory to God. And who knows? Who knows that should the Lord tarry? Perhaps, perhaps he would still take you early, just like he took Enoch. Hallelujah, because Enoch never died. And, many of the rabbis teach that it was not just Enoch that walked with God, but there was a whole company of people like Enoch who were led by Enoch. There was a whole company of people that had deep walk with God that were having, you know, the, the, the supernatural experiences and the visions and the glory and all of that going on. So just walk with the Lord. Hallelujah. Walk with the Lord and be expecting the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Also, also with that coming of the Lord, there is the coming presence of the Lord. There is the coming of the Lord in the sense where he could come to you in a vision and appear to you. And I mean, I've had the Lord appear to me multiple times and share things with me. Uh, and this happened before the catching up of the saints ever took place. So in other words, I'm, I'm getting prepared and I'm anticipating this blessed hope. Uh, yes, for the Lord to come and to take us with him. And at the same time, he can still come. He may not take you home just yet because that's kind of like a corporate thing he's going to do, but nevertheless, you need to be ready to meet the Lord praise the Lord. Mm, 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 mm. Thank you, Jesus. All right, let's go a little bit further. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purified for himself, his own special people, zealous, zealous for good works. Praise God. That's the things that God has called us to do. So grace really does teach. Grace empowers you to say no. And I think that we've had a lot of grace teaching that just said, well, you know, God understands if whether you said no or not, or gave in, or uh, it doesn't matter. God will forgive you and wash all your sins away. And God's grace is there for you. You can do whatever you want, and you'll be okay. Well, that's not the full teaching of grace grace will always instruct you to say no, to deny that. And the Bible teaches us to, first of all, resist the devil. Well, Pastor Stephen, we, we can't. He'll just steamroll over. He'll, he'll roll over just like a steamroller. No, he can't. We would not be instructed to resist him if we could not do that. So we are able to resist him. And when we do resist him, He does exactly what God's word promises. He will do. He will flee from us. Mm -mm. Thank you, Jesus. So there is a denying. And the more that you deny and say no and stick with it and overcome, you go from victory to victory. And then you start realizing, you know what? I got through it. I didn't have to yield to it. I didn't have to give in to it. Wow. This grace really works. Never knew this side of grace before. And there's millions, literally millions of Christians who don't know that side, who don't know the side to deny, deny. Well, you know, Pastor Stephen, uh, culture has given in and, you know, we just need to go along with it and not cause any trouble and, uh, you know, just kind of do what everybody else is doing, not rock the boat. Well, not if that goes against biblical principles. We are to deny that. Praise the Lord. Well, Pastor Stephen, we might get thrown in the fire like Daniel or, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did, you know, well, you know, it is what it is. Praise God. But I'm telling you, you keep walking in this grace. You'll get to the very top. You'll get to the very top of where God wants you to be developed into the image of his son. Praise the Lord. Praise God. I'm telling you, grace will put a backbone in you. It'll put an iron rod in your back, and it'll it'll turn a coward into a lion. Absolutely. That's what grace will do. Yeah, yeah, it'll cover your sins. (laughs) Yeah, but it'll make you bold as a lion also. Mm -hmm. That's that's what got a hold of John Wesley, and it shook him so much and changed his life so much, he actually called it the second work of grace. He actually said it was greater than a greater experience for him than what was known, what we would actually call the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I've had other ministers say the same thing, that when they caught the full revelation of this grace message, they said to them, it was a greater experience. It took them into a greater maturity than even than what the baptism in the Holy Spirit did. I believe that 1000%. Pastor Stephen, I talk in tongues. That's good. Do you deny ungodliness? Well, well, Pastor Stephen, nobody's perfect. Well, <laughs> Woo, glory to God. Mm, it's it's fascinating. It's amazing. So keep this in mind: God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. So, grace goes to the humble. And grace flows down in order that you may rise up. Think about that. Grace flows down. It it flows down to the humble. It flows down to you in a position of humility so that you can rise up to the top. Whoa, praise God. And that's exactly, my friends, where you are going. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise God. Mm -mm. Thank you, Jesus. Grace will keep you from compromising. Praise you. Praise you, Lord. Pastor Stephen, where will this grace take me to? It'll take you to the top. Here's here's a great indicator. It it will make this verse come alive to you. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So grace will bring you into that position of knowing there has been a crucifixion of the self-will. Praise the Lord. Mm Praise God. Father, we give you praise and glory. Thank you, Lord Jesus. The grace of God. The grace of God to be molded into the image of Jesus through teaching, instruction, spiritual schooling, and even spiritual disciplining. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father God. And every time you win, you get stronger. Every time you give in, every time you give in, the grace of God will be there for you. But if you want to go to the top, every time you deny the temptation, you go go higher. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And that must come by revelation. So Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. Let it be sealed in our spirits. We thank you for the new heights that your people are going to go to simply by learning to say no. Now, Father, I thank you that the majority of this grace being worked out happens in our secret life, not so much in public. Father, 90% of it is in our secret life in secret manners and activities and behaviors that nobody sees but you. So, Father, we thank you for grace to say no and to deny it, to deny that urge, to deny it. Somebody, you're watching me, and you know exactly what I'm talking about, that urge that would feel overwhelming to go do that thing. Grace will instruct you and will strengthen you to deny it. Pastor Stephen, I break it out into a cold sweat. Oh, well, then just sweat while you deny it. Pastor Stephen, I'm shaking all over. Well, shake while you deny it and say no to it. Pastor Stephen, I feel like I'm about to, I'm about, well, just get up and go walk around. Go take a walk. Go take a long walk. Hallelujah. And just deny it the whole time and praise God. And you'll discover really what grace is all about. I would say a fuller understanding of what grace is. Praise the Lord praise God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Some of you, you're going to start to walk in this grace and people are going to say, well, what's happened to you? (laughs) Just say, well, you know, I'm, I'm doing some things differently now. Praise God. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. It's going to be good. It's going to be real good. The Lord's cleaning his church. Mm, Pastor Stephen, we have a real problem in our culture with Marxism, communism, socialism is on the rise. Yeah, God knows all about that stuff. And, you know, that's pretty much out in the in the American system. Or let me say it like that. That's in the world. That's not so much within the people of God. It's just stuff out there for people that, you know, would want to you know, kind of go in the anarchy, and you know, uh, you know, see a collapse, and see a one-world government come forth, and all of that. God knows all about that, but God primarily deals with His people. Yeah, all that's going on out there, God sees that. God and God's working also. God, God's not out of surprises. He got all kinds of things He's going to do. The enemy has no clue what God. Some of the things God's going to do, so. While we see those things that are out there that, you know, could be concerning and certainly we need to be praying about, but remember, we can't be saying, oh, that stuff's wrong. That stuff's evil. While we ourselves don't even live or practice what we, you know, proclaim that they should become. Mm. And I believe that's what the Lord is working on. That's what he's working on. That's the thing about discipleship and that's the thing about you know, developing those that are born again in the walk of God. We in many ways replicate what we are. Yes, we, we put the Christ that we know into them. We minister the knowledge of God that we have into them, but we're going to put into them what we have. And even if you put into them what you proclaim, and it, but it's not the truth. In other words, you're not really you, you're telling them what to do, but yet you yourself don't do it. The message will replicate exactly what you are, <laughs> and so sometimes that's been why we see so many believers that um, it seems like it seemed like they missed something. Well. Paul was certainly solid, and yet he still, you know, struggled to get that over to the church in Corinth. But he certainly, he certainly didn't pull back on teaching them what they needed to do in order to make those corrections. And neither did he do so with uh, uh, Titus when he's writing to him and the churches that he's dealing with there, there in Crete. He's not pulling any punches. He's just saying, hey, this is, this is the way we do it. This is the apostolic faith this is the teaching handed down from Jesus Christ himself. Praise the Lord. And it's rock solid and it will work and it will make you into the man or woman or boy or girl that God wants you to be. Praise the Lord. Now, if you're watching today's program and you don't know Jesus, well, my friends, eternal life begins with him and can only be found in him. If you would like to receive this eternal life where Christ has abolished and has overcome spiritual death and has also overcome natural death and will one day even raise the believers up, the dead in Christ will rise. But the most important thing is that you need to be born again so that the spiritual death is taken out of you and the life of God, the spiritual life, is put into you. If you would like to receive Jesus as your Savior and receive his eternal life right now, along with forgiveness of sins, please, right now, pray this prayer after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I invite you to come into my heart right now. Jesus, I give my life to you. Give me your new life wash all of my sins away. Write my name in your book of life. Jesus, thank you for saving me right now. In your name, I pray. Amen and amen. And he has heard that prayer and he has saved you and you now belong to him. Now, if you are a Christian, but you've walked away from the Lord and you're in sin, you're in a very, very dangerous place come back to the Lord right now. The last thing you would want would be to perish in your sin, having once known Christ, but walked away from him because you wanted to, uh, find out what you were missing or see if the grass was greener on the other side. Well, you found out that there were some pleasures out there, but you've hit, you've taken some horrible hits. And not only that, you've, you've walked away from the Lord, but he stands stands calling out to you right now. Right now, if you are a believer and you want to come back to the Lord, pray this after me. Say, Jesus, I'm sorry I walked away from you. I repent of what I've done and I come back right now. Jesus, please forgive me. Please forgive me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Lord, restore me unto you right now. Restore me. Thank you, Jesus and heal all the problems and the issues I've got in my life. Thank you, Jesus. Amen and amen. Praise God. Welcome back into the family of God. Praise the Lord forever. My friends, let's take Holy Communion today. Please grab some unleavened bread, grab some grape juice. Praise the Lord. Stay stay sober, some really good things are going to happen to you. Don't get all giddy and goofy. Uh, Stay sober. Stay grounded. Yes, stay be joyful. Be happy. You know, rejoice in the Lord. All that good stuff. But stay sober. Praise God. Mm -hmm. Woo! Thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you for the bread, the juice. We pray over it. We bless it. We sanctify it with this prayer. We thank you that it's now set apart as holy. Thank you, Father. This is the body and the blood of Jesus. So, Father, we receive the body of Jesus, his flesh. We give you praise. We thank you for your grace, teaching us day and night, day and night. Grace is instructing us. Thank you, Father, to deny ungodliness, to deny worldly lust, to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. Thank you that it's teaching us, teaching us, teaching us day and night to do these things. Father, we praise you. We receive this instruction. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We're going all the way to the top. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Let's receive the body of Christ. Amen. Father, thank you for the blood of Jesus. Thank you for his grace we have been saved by grace through faith. Thank you, Father, for cleansing and forgiveness of all of our sins. Hallelujah. God, it feels so good to be in right relationship with you. It feels so good to be clean, not all dirty and messed up. God, we praise you for the blood of Jesus that we are saved and going to heaven. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father God, for the blood of the Lamb. Father, we receive the blood of Jesus and its mighty soul cleansing power, sin forgiving power. In His name, we pray. Amen and amen. Let's receive. Hallelujah. Praise God. Well, my friends, thank you for joining me this morning for this little teaching on the other side of the coin of the subject of grace. I love both sides. But I just know that this is a side that we don't get enough, and we need more of it. And this is something that the old-time Pentecostals knew about. They really did have a great grasp on being sober, godly, and righteous. They really had a good grasp on that. We need to walk in that, too. It's, these are not just, you know, truths for past times. These are eternal truths for all time. Praise the Lord. Thanks for watching, and I'll see you back next time. Bye-bye.